Okay, good evening everyone. We are going to start uh, this week Parshas Chaye Sara. And uh, today we're truly going to go through the Pardes, the Orchard of Torah. And uh, we're going to even have some uh, Hasidic understanding of a Gemara, which... uh, was very interesting, and more for men who learn Gomorrah will appreciate a whole new slant on it, but it's a wonderful interpretation no matter what. So the first five minutes is going to sound a little Talmudically technical. Don't let it scare you off. The rest of the class will not be that way, okay? But we just have to uh, do it a little bit so we have a, a good understanding over here. And... Parshas Chaye Sora, um, especially in the Sephardic world, I don't know if uh, you're going to be doing this, but usually the Shabbos before a wedding or after a Shabbat oh, yes. Chatan, yes, they doing. read from Chaye Sora. Yes. Because Chaye Sora is the first Shidduch with Yitzchak and Rivka. It's called the Parsha of Shat- Shatchanim. They call the Chatan to the Torah. And uh, so that's, it's not the Ashkenazic tradition, but either way, it is definitely, if you want to know about Shidduchim, so it's very timely here, or maybe it's a little too late, but whatever. <laughs> but uh, it's everything you need to know about Shidduchim is in this Parsha. However, we start with something else, a very sad story after the Akedas Yitzchak and Avram returns um triumphantly passing the most difficult tests, he finds out that his wife, Sarah, um, has died as a result of the finding out about the Akedah Yitzchak. And now everyone has to go through the challenge of finding a burial place for his wife. Now, um, the Talmud in Meseches Kedushin, that's a tractate that deals with marriage, and let's take a look at the first source. The Talmud says, Ha'isha nikneis bishalosh drachim. You got the sheets there. If you want, we could look over here. A woman can be acquired in marriage in three ways. Okay? And two ways she can free herself from the marriage. How is a woman acquired? With kesef, with money, bishtar, with a document, ubabia, and through intimacy. Okay, so let me explain what this means uh, so we don't get the wrong idea over here. Uh, The Torah says there's a mitzvah to get married, and even if you're not interested in the mitzvah, there is a halachic way for a man and a woman to live together, and that is through kiddush, erisin, different Hebrew words we use, and there is... uh, a legal aspect to marriage. And according to the Torah, uh, the Torah says, Ish ki'ikach isha. Ki'ikach ish isha. If a man will take a woman in marriage. And the question is, how does he take her in marriage? So the Talmud says there's three ways. Either you give her something worth value, like money, or you write a document or through intimacy. Those are the three ways. And the Gemara spends a lot of time proving how do we know these three ways are there. Okay. So the one that we now do is the first one, kesef, money or something of value. And that's where the ring comes into play. Now, when we say a man acquires, we don't mean to say he buys her. That's it's like a really bad English word to use for Kona. But the truth of the matter is, a woman, before she gets married, can be married to anyone she wants. So now, the man, so to speak, from a legal point of view, purchases the right to be the only man she will be with. And that has to be concretized in some kind of transaction. Um, Again, we're not talking about buying anything, but even in the Canadian government, you have to have a wedding license. If you don't have a wedding license, they're not married legally. So the wedding license, so to speak, in the Torah is, okay, there's different ways to affect this 
marriage in the presence of two witnesses, and one of them is something that is worth money. Okay. The Gemara in the second source asks, so how do we know this? How do we know from the Torah that money is one of the three ways to, uh, uh, to effectuate the marriage? So now we're going to use one of the interesting Talmudic principles that Hashem taught Moshe. Many principles of big biblical exegesis. That's the fancy word they use to biblical ways of... Tra- of Hashem said you can understand the Torah in certain ways. And one of them is Shava, which means that if a word is used in one place in the Torah and a similar word is used somewhere else in the Torah and the words are not necessarily, not so necessary for the text and they're nearly identical words, that means the Torah is trying to create some similarity between these two different issues. Why does the Torah say it straight out? That's the way God wants us to work and try to understand the Torah. So we're going to do one of these. This is the technical part. So the Gemara says, now really if I can use my little thing over here, that will help. Yeah, that's much better. So the Gemara said, you see my little... Uh, how do we know that money is one of the ways to get married with that? So Gomer learned kicha kicha. We look at the similar wording of kicha, which means to take, to take, Ephron from the field of Ephron in this week's parsha. Ksivach it says in Sefer Tvarim parshas kitetze about marriage. Kiyikach ish isha. If a man yikach takes a woman in marriage. That's the word yikach, a very interesting way of describing marriage, a man taking a woman. Uksivan, it says by the Avram, buying the burial plot for Sarah, says, Nosati kesef hasada, I've given you the money of the field, kach mimeni, take it of me. Now, that whole... Last, last clause is actually, you could have just said, I've given you the money. Why is it going to say, take it from me? Aha, that's a little bit extra over there. So therefore, we see just like what is the wording, take from me, is when, when Avram paid a significant amount of kesef money for the field of Ephron to bury Sarah. So we're going to say, just like the taking over here was with money, So too, when a man wants to take a woman, he takes it with something that is worth money. Okay? End of the Talmudic discourse for the evening. Does everybody understand how we arrived at this, the working of it? Any questions? This is the only technical part of the class. So we're okay. Shmuel, of course, is okay with this. Even Shmuel's going to go gonna flip out when he sees the interpretation at the end. Even though he knows Kiddushin well. He knows Kiddushin well. He's learned it a few times, but he's gonna go, wow, when he hears the, but right at the end, he's gonna hear something that he never heard of before. Okay, so now, and it's interesting, the amount of area space, and that is known as the Mahars HaMachpelah. And that's why this Shabbos, thousands and thousands of Jews will descend upon Hebron um, to spend the Shabbos in uh, Hebron. And the area that he purchased, the Paneach Raza, one of the uh, uh, mystical commentators, says that Avram purchased 600,000 amos. An amma is the amount of, of your arm, about a foot and a half to two feet. And why did he buy that? For 600,000 Neshamas, for 600,000. Root souls. Likewise, each marriage is not just a private affair. It has significance for all the Jewish people. So this is very interesting. We're seeing from two aspects, the Gemara and the more mystical, are both learning something about marriage from the burial of Sar. So the obvious question is, a wedding is a very joyous time. And I'm sure when we're at a wedding and we see the, the chassin give a ring to the kala, the last thing we're thinking about is burying her, right? 
Although, you know, the sick joke, you know, when, when, a, when a man gets married, you know, he's, a man is okay, but when he's married, he's finished. You know, that's what they say. But, uh, but, uh, but really, like, couldn't the Torah find anything more pleasant to talk about than the burial of a wife? In other words, that's the end of marriage. Isn't that the ultimate act of love? Bury somebody or the ultimate mitzvah? But that, you don't even have to be married to such a person. Uh, we call it a chesed shall emes, a, a chesed of truth. And we're going to learn that later on when Yaakov asks Yosef to bury him and says, I'd like you to do a chesed shall emes, a chesed of truth. And why is that? Because you don't expect to get paid back. Because you bury somebody, they can't bury you back, right? So that's, that's nice. But when you're getting married, uh, they're both alive. They're both alive. Very difficult to understand that. And more than that, I didn't write it down, but it makes this seem so legal. Like, so, you know, don't we have these ideas of love and all these other amazing ideas? And of everything about marriage, we say, well, you know, it's, it's a contractual thing and we're learning from this. It would seem to be a very odd place to find a source for this. There'd be happier sources, number one. And the second issue is, so this is a very, very sad story. And it's very ironic that the next story now is to find a shidduch for Yitzchak. So, of course, the simple understanding of the flow is, well, Sarah died. So now Yitzchak needs a wife. There has to be a woman in the house. Okay. But is there something more to the connection in this story over here? So this is the overall thing we want to look at. So as we've said uh, a number of times, so just repeat, there are many levels to understand the Torah. And if you really uh, are fortunate, you're able, you first want to understand things on what we call a pshat level, meaning the simple understanding of what happened in the story. Then we want the next level, which is called the remez, which in English literally means the, the hint, so to speak, or we'll call it a symbolic uh, way of understanding things. And then there's a third level that's called the drush, which is the interconnection of one part of the Torah to the rest of the Torah. Then we have what's called the sod, the esoteric level. And that spells pshat, remesh, drush, sod, spells pardes. And that's the orchard. There's four levels. They're not contradictory levels. They're layers. Just like in anything, like just like uh, an onion. An onion, you can peel away layers. There's the outer layer, then the inner layer, and more. So you come really into the core. So the way Torah is can be studied is by using all these layers and we're going to see there's a fifth layer as well and we go deeper and deeper and understanding what's going on over here so let's uh, take a look at this story and let's try to understand you know the whole the whole idea what are we supposed to learn from this story and what's the give and take and why is there a purchase you know just the rudimentary story says that Avram uh, uh, comes to the people of Ches, the Chitim, and he says, I'm a stranger in this land. Please give me, and I'd like to uh, give me an ancestral burial ground so I can bury my wife. And they said, listen, you're a wonderful person here. Go bury the wife wherever you want. Don't worry, we'll let you bury anywhere. And he thanks them. And he says, if you're going to let me bury my wife, let me speak to Ephron, who's a very important person. And he will get, and I'd like the Ma'aras HaMachpelah, the double cave that's at the end of his field over here. And Ephron's over there, and he answers in front of everybody. He says, you're an amazing guy. Just keep the whole thing. Take it for free. Ephron says, no, I want to pay for it. And eventually Ephron makes him pay way, way more than it's worth. So what is going on exactly in this discussion over here? What are you supposed to learn from this idea? This is the first time the Torah is talking about burial. What is the message over here? So let's start with the Peshat level. 
which we will find right over here. Unfortunately, I couldn't find a lot of English. A little bit at the end I have. And let's, uh, let's see what we have over here. So the Malbim brings down the Ramban and says it's a very simple discussion. In the lands of the Hittites, they only would allow people to have bur family burial grounds if they were permanent residents. Because those are very, um, you know, even today, you know, it's not a simple thing with uh, cemeteries now in Toronto. You know, you remember in a shul, you're entitled to a cemetery plot. They're very expensive things, cemetery plots, you know, uh, and it goes up in value every year. It costs more and more and more. And, uh, you know, you, you wouldn't believe it. it's like almost now, I think it's like $5,000 a plot. And what? No, just the plot. In Israel, you get it for free. If you live in Israel, if you're a citizen, if you're a citizen, I'm not talking about the funeral, I'm talking about the plot. But if you're in a particular area, it is free for you. Anyway. If you're living in that area, if you're playing Arnona, Paying the taxes anyway, time. anyway, but the, the point being, it, it's a very expensive thing, and there's not a lot of space, and they, you know people want to reserve plots, and then they don't get the plot. You know, it's not so simple. It's not so simple getting people buried. So what they were saying is, listen, we have a rule. If you live over here, then we know you're going to stay here. You and your children and your grandchildren. Okay, you can get a ancestral plot. But if you, uh, you're just a stranger, you really live in somewhere else, or is. So, uh, you know, what we'll do is we'll give you a plot, like in the community section, right? We'll give you a plot. We'll even give you for free. We'll give you one in the community section. And Avram says, no, 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 no. I, I want this not just for my wife. I want it for me. I want it for my children. I want it for my grandchildren. And this became the whole discussion over here. So then they were able to extract an exorbitant amount of money from Avram for this. So therefore, and that's what we have in the English that you should see right at the bottom over there. It says, because you're so respected, you may have the best grave in the public cemetery, or else you may request the private plot of anyone in town, but it's against our custom to allow a stranger to acquire a plot of his own, meaning like a whole family type of section. So this was the issue that he wasn't really a permanent resident, so to speak. So, you know, we can't give that to you. So Avram says, well, really, I'd like to be a permanent resident, this and that, and he finally gets this. Okay, this is what we call the simple shot. It's the concrete understanding of what was the give and take that exactly happened over here. And the simple shot relates to what we call also these five levels of interpretation uh, correspond to the five levels of the Jewish soul. Starting the lowest level, the nefesh, ruach, neshama, chayyachira. And the nefesh is the spiritual aspect of the biological person. This, the infinite reality of the biological person. So that is the pshat. So what do we learn with the pshat? Well, Avram Avinu is living in Eretz Yisrael, and now he has finally bought a piece of land, and now, even though Hashem has promised him a long time ago that the land would be his, he finally bought something and he owns something, and Israel is the permanent homeland of the Jews, as we now see, not just symbolically, but uh, the fact that Himamish paid top dollar for a, for a not such a wonderful piece of land. Okay. And what does that, now, why, so now, okay, so now with this in mind, let's go back to the Gemara. So why are we learning marriage from this? So, Really, if you think about what is one of the biggest challenges um, nowadays, and maybe throughout history, is the misunderstanding of what marriage is supposed to be. And many people view marriage as a partnership between two individuals, like any other business relationship. And a marriage is when two individuals agree to form a partnership in which each individual can get more together than being alone. Right? Right? 
So, you know, I'm good at this, she's good at that, and together, you know, why would I waste my time doing something I'm not good at when she could do something she's good at? And why would she waste her time doing something she's not good at that I'm good at? So we really benefit from this. However, how long will that relationship last? As long as you feel you're benefiting from this relationship, right? But once you no longer feel a benefit from this, then you're uh, just not interested. So this, but what the Torah is saying over here is that the Torah views marriage not as a partnership, but an everlasting merger. And the two mergers become, two entities become one. And that's why marriage is learned, the laws of marriage are learned from the laws of purchasing a burial plot of land. Meaning, how long is the man and the woman supposed to be together? The answer is forever. That's it. So to understand the true nature of marriage, the Torah learns this from the place that shows the eternal characteristic of the burying of the, the purchasing of the burial plot. That is what we'll say is on the pshat level, and that's why we're learning it from from uh, the burial. Um, a slight deviation, but within that is, you know, when it comes to a funeral, everybody wants to do it right. Usually, you know, even a lot of secular Jews, they want to make sure it's done right, this and that. And like, what won't you do for the spouse that needs to get buried? So that's a good attitude to have throughout your marriage. <laughs> so that, that's another idea. But, but the main idea is to know that marriage is forever. Now, of course, there's exceptions to the rule, and there can always be divorce in that, but you, you have to go into it seeing it's going to be forever. As they say, till death do us part. And if it's till death do us part, then we will be able to have a good marriage. Okay, that's the shot, simple level. Okay, so now we're rolling on to the second level, which is the remes. What's the symbolic uh, way of understanding this? So let's think about this. What, what is some of the problems that people come across in marriage? And sources of the problems. One of the sources of the problems, we could say, is that one spouse thinks they're better than the other spouse. You know, and one spouse, you know, sometimes when there's arguments or fights, some lines like, you know, I could have picked anybody. You're lucky I took you. You know, I get a line like that. You know, I was the top of my class, and if you're really upset with your spouse, and who were you? You were a nobody when I got you, right? And that is, you know, and to a certain degree, you know, in certain marriages, there's a little degree of competitiveness, and it may not be always expressed, but maybe one spouse, you know, thinks that they are better than the other one. And basically the real problem is you don't appreciate your spouse or you don't really even appreciate being married in general. And some people kind of think, especially, you know, um, in the more from types of marriages where there's not a lot of uh, contact and a lot of getting to know everybody before the wedding. So, you know, Sometimes after you get married, you think, boy, I didn't really expect that. Well, I don't know if I got such a good uh, deal out of this. <laughs> and uh, you can say, you know, I've been misled. And I got ripped off. <laughs> and that's not a good attitude in a marriage. So therefore, let's take a look at this burial. And, you know, but don't you ever hear, you know, people say, oh, they got the shidduch of the century. And don't you ever hear, wow, I, you know, it's interesting, I once got a call from a very unpleasant person uh, when uh, my first daughter, Cyril, got engaged to Lape. Now, Lape's family, very prestigious family. Lape's father is a Rosh Kolel, like, like what Shlomo Miller is in Toronto. Lape's father is that in Detroit. They both came to those cities at the same time. And he has... He has a lot of uh, very fine mukhtanim, my my uh, mukhtan, 
One of them is a big Rosh Hashiva in, uh, in New York. Not more than you. <laughs> okay, thank you, Esther. <laughs> My fan. But anyway, he's a very... So anyway, so the person was speaking to me, and he's wondering, how did you land such a shidduch? Which, I don't know if the person intended it, but that's very insulting. <laughs> it's like, who are you that you got such a good shit? Yeah. Okay, so I did, you know, I made it a quick conversation. But, uh, but a lot of times when you have these vorts, people want to know, oh, where's the other family from this? And maybe not so much in this present company, because you might be wondering, what is he talking about? But in other uh, spheres, people always try to size up who got the better end of the deal. You know, uh, this this bucker was depending on where your uh, milieu is. Is it in the yeshivisha world? Is it in the business world? Oh, this one, wow, he did so good. Wow, the the man so handsome, the girl so gorgeous. Ah, the guy's a little short. Wonder what she saw in him. Ah, she probably he got the better end of that deal. People like talk about this, and sometimes even the bride and groom think about this as well, and. Uh, you know, it, it, it can really be a problem. And, uh, you know, you, like the little boy who asks his father, he says, Daddy, how much does it cost to get married? And the father says, you know what? I don't know, son. I'm still paying for it, you know? So it's like, but there is another attitude. Let's look at the sale of the Marat HaMachpelah. Let's see, figure what was Avram saying after the deal was done? When Avram goes back home, what's he telling his friends? And what's Ephron telling his wife? Now, what did Avram buy? He bought a cave. He bought some land in front of a cave. Now, a cave is generally not very good real estate to sell, right? Because you can't do much with a cave. So, and, and Ephron comes home and says, I can't believe it, believe it, I got the deal of the century. It's mamish with no commissions to pay. This guy gave me like millions for a piece of garbage. Wow, and I was such a good smooth talker. First I told him I'd give it to him, and then he wanted to pay, and oh, he's Avram, what a sucker he is. Man, I made him pay way, way over the price. It's unbelievable. He was so happy with the deal. Avram comes home and says, I can't believe I got I got the place where Autumn and Chava are buried. That's right. I got such a spiritual place, and I only had to pay a million dollars for for such a place that's gonna be for eternity, a place where the Shekhinah receives prayers. It was worth every penny of it. Now, two people with two different attitudes, and they both were very happy with the purchase because they had a different attitude about this. So now, perhaps this is the, from the emotional level, this is the lesson the Torah wants to teach us about the best purchase we're ever gonna make, and that's standing under the chuppah and committing to spend the rest of your life with your beloved soulmate. So if you don't believe in the real value of a marriage, you could maybe think you got ripped off. It wasn't worth the price to pay to keep to keep going. And you know, it's, uh, it's like marriage for them is like a three ring circus, you know? First comes the engagement ring, then comes the wedding ring, and then comes the suffering, okay? So there, certain people feel that way. But if you take Avram's lead, and you understand Aisha's Chayel Miyimsa, who's gonna find an amazing woman? And as we know, at the Leviah, Avram said Aisha's Chayel about her. So when you believe, when you're taking the woman, that you got the best deal in the world, and your wife, and the wife thinks with the husband, she got the best deal in the world, then you're gonna have an amazing marriage. So this is the connection between this deal with what a marriage is. Just like both people thought they got the best deal in the world, so too did Avram. It's very interesting 
There's a fascinating idea in halacha. And that's going to see in source number eight. Oh, no, for you it's six. For me it's eight. But you it's six, the rush. The rush says, it's one of the Rishonim, and it's quoted in Shulchan Aruch. He says, you should not give an honorable eulogy for a person who's not deserving of it. You should not lie about the person who, if he doesn't have any virtues, don't say he has virtues. Okay? And it's Mamish and Avera to say outward lies. Okay? Uh, but if somebody deserves a small amount of honor, we can exaggerate the accomplishments of the deceased. Now, that's, that's not a very, you have to be careful about this halacha. Because, you know, you can feel lying, you know, it's like the, uh, uh, it's like a, a, the, uh, the two, two brothers who uh, were old people, nasty people, rich and nasty people, gave a lot of money to the shul. And um, so the brother says, okay, Rabbi, I want you to give a eulogy for my brother. And the brother was really a terrible guy. It was a terrible guy. And he says, if you want us to continue supporting the shul, you're going to have to, you know, mention about him being a tzaddik. Or pulling all our money out. So the rabbis, <laughs> these guys are really the only, they're they're terrible guys. I don't know one good thing to say about him. He says, Rabbi, you better be careful because we're going to stop giving if you don't say he's a tzaddik. So the rabbi gets up there. And he says, I want to tell you about the deceased. And he starts going through a litany of terrible things he did. Terrible things he did. He was a crook. He was a this. He was a that. The other brother was getting so angry. But compared to his brother, he was a tzaddik. Okay? So, it's not always easy to give a eulogy. But we're not allowed to lie. But you can exaggerate a little bit. If he gave some money to tzedakah, you could say, oh, he was a very generous person. So the question is, since when are you allowed to lie? So says the Taz in source number seven, he says, so if you can't lie, what's exaggeration? Isn't that a form of lying? So he says like this. He says, we're allowed to exaggerate because that's when you're not jealous of the person that can see the truth, which means... When we see, when we size up people, generally speaking, we can be jealous of a person's virtues. So whenever we see the guy say, okay, yeah, he gives tzedakah, but not so much. Yeah, he gives, but you know, not that much. And why are you saying not that much? Because really he does give, but you're jealous. There's a natural, you know, just a, it's subconscious thing. You don't want to give other people so much credit. It makes you look bad. Ah, but when the person's dead, you're no longer jealous. So if you'll exaggerate to what you think he was, now you're going to come close to telling the truth. Do you understand? Because the exaggeration is according to your not correct observation to begin with. You know, uh, people, you're jealous of somebody. You don't want to look at them as so great because you're envious and they're still alive. No one's jealous of a dead man. Nothing to be, he could have been the richest, but you know, so, so, so you know, maybe I'll say a little better than him. So, you know, a little better is really probably what it was because you're always looking lower at the person. So, this is the same idea over here. There are some marriages where the husband and wife they're trying to match up who's the better spouse. And if a person is suffering from certain ego issues, he, yeah, my wife's okay, but I have to be better. I just have to be better. Or as the famous Annie Oakley song, going back 50 years, anything you can do, I can do better. Okay? Uh, yes, you can. No, you can. Yes, you can. No, you can. Okay, if you're dating yourself on that. But anyway, or you could say you watch the reruns. But anyway, so, so in the marriage, what we're seeing over here is just like in this, um, in this deal. Everyone thought they got the big deal. A better deal. We have to always look at our spouse that wow did I get a great deal. And I'm, you're looking up at that person. That person is very special to you. And that's what we learned from 
on the second level, which we're calling the remez, the emotional level we learned from that. Okay, let us go to the third level, which is called drush, level three. Uh, level three is when we try to interconnect things. And now is a beautiful idea as well. You know, what do you, one thing about the Jewish people that no one can deny is we have a lot of resilience. A tremendous amount of resilience. And the question is, where does our resilience come from? There's been no people that have suffered as many tragedies as we have had. And after the tragedies, it's like it just didn't happen. And now we get back into things and redouble our efforts and things become even greater and better. I mean, that's something that people notice. Where do we have this ability to rebound after all these tragedies? And the answer is from this, from this story over here, as we shall see. Let's take a look in the Gemara in, where is it here? Source number 11. The Gomorrah and Sanhedrin. Fascinating story. The Gomorrah and Sanhedrin is talking about the story of Hananiah, Mishal, and Azariah. This was after the first base of Migdash was destroyed. And uh, the wicked king, Nebuchadnezzar, he made himself into a god, and everyone had to bow down to him. And if you don't, you're going to get thrown into the fire. So Hananiah, Mishal, and Azariah would not bow down to him. So they got thrown in the fire, and they came out alive. So Gamora asks the question, so whatever happened with these guys? And then you don't hear anything more about them in the Navi. In the Navi, we see the story in Sefer Daniel. They're in, they're out. We don't hear another word about them. So Gamora gives a number of opinions. And Rabbi Yochanan says, he says, they went up to Israel. They went back to Israel. They married and had sons and daughters. What do you see from this? You see that it's in the Jewish nature to be able to, even after you're thrown into a furnace, to do the three most important things you can do in life. Go to Eretz Yisrael, get married, and have children. Isn't this exactly a prophecy to what happened after the Holocaust? And even worse, because Hanani Mishal got thrown into the extermination uh, camp, and they were not scathed. They came out alive. But Jews, how many of their family all died? They came out, and it's exactly mamish, like a prophecy. Whatever happened to the Holocaust survivors? They went to Eretz Yisrael, they got married, and they had kids. Now, the question is, where does this come from? Now, obviously, let's think about this. Let's think about this. We're talking about marriage. That's what we're talking about, marriage. Where did Jews have this ability to get married? Where is it coming from? Where is this idea? Although we have so many challenges, you know, it's very interesting. You know, you speak to these, you see these liberal people like AOC and all these other uh, very liberal people. The majority of them are not married True. and without kids. Now, why don't they get married? Why don't they have kids? There's all kinds of answers, but the common denominator is they've been hurt too much in life. Yeah. And why would they want to give it to anybody else? And you could add in some narcissism as well. But why should, and she says it, Beferish, this AOC, I wouldn't want to bring my children to this terrible world. Yeah, yeah. And to bring another child brings more carbon footprint into the world. <laughs> but really, you think they had such wonderful lives? They didn't have such wonderful lives. So why did they want to work on bringing more life into the world? This idea of abortion on demand. It's all this coming from all these days, playing on people's suffering. The Jews, nobody has suffered the terrible, terrible um, uh, suffering, that, that brutality against us. And still women, and men and women, Jewish men, women, are having, getting married, having kids, not worrying about what's going to happen. Where does this come from? This comes from Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu, after Sarah dies, okay, Mamish died, and, and you're in the burial fields, Mamish, the offer, the dirt, 
putting a person into the ground can have all kinds of psychologically detrimental things. And then what does he say? And of course, the next thing we must do is we must continue to rebuild the Jewish people and my son has to have a shidduch. Has to have a shidduch. So this becomes the third level where this now becomes the, we'll call the cognitive level. So that's also what marriage is about. Marriage is in spite, and, and we could even say a little more, that people may be very afraid to get married in general because of a lot of suffering they've had with relationships in the past. So what does a Jew do when he goes through a traumatic experience? He reaffirms life. And that's exactly what Avram does. He, he understands what death is, but we understand that if, just as you deal with death, you have to now take on marriage and to start a new life as well. And this is where the Jews are able to do this. It's the third interpretation. The fourth is the sod, and that's what we call the transcendental. This is where we go to the deepest understanding over here. And where are we going to? Point number 11. 11. No, by you it's 11, by yeah, me it's 11. 11. Yeah, okay. Let's, uh, yeah, that's what we want over here. So let's uh, understand this, and this is really getting much deeper over here. So in the Svarim, it talks about two dimensions in every relationship that we have. There's what we can call the uh, conscious part of the relationship and the subconscious part of the relationship. Uh, and to use the terminology of this Parsha, we can say the part that's above the ground that you could see, and then we'll say the part that's beneath the ground or like in the cave, okay? And the first layer, the conscious layer of the relationship is created by your conscious thoughts, by your emotions and your feelings. So when you get married, there's definitely conscious feelings. I love you because I feel for you. I cherish you. I perceive you as my life's partner. Amazing. That's the conscious level. What happens when those powerful feelings fade? What happens to the relationship? It suffers as well. Remember the Mishnah says, an ava hatluya bedover, if a love depends on something, it's a good thing as long as the thing that it depends on is there. Once it's gone, it's gone. Okay, you have, you have great passions and you, mamish, you, you love her more than anything else and then what happens when the passions dissipate? You know, it's, it's not the same. That's one level, which is a true level. And I'm sure all of us had that level. The real trick is going to the deeper level, the one that's buried beneath the earth, so to speak, the inner caves of our souls relating to each other. And this is something that's not conscious, but it's rather, it's deep way back in the subconscious. Because the truth of the matter is, as we know, that the two of you were connected a long time before you came to planet Earth. As the Zohar says, you were two halves of one soul. Okay? Now let's try to understand, like on another level, parent and child. Parent and child, do you have a relationship with your mother or your father? Yes. Does it always have to be positive? No, No, but you can never walk away from it. Because there's a DNA that you share together, okay, and you can maybe yell and scream with your mother sometimes if you really didn't like her. Or you could love your mother. But one thing's for sure, you don't disown your mother. Nothing's going to change the fact she was your mother. So on a different plane, so to speak, marriage works the same way. Because really, as we know, the husband and a wife were ready together up in Shemayim. The souls were two, with one soul, with a male and female kabonah, sliced in half, brought down to planet Earth, and they were separated, now they come back together. So really, according to the deepest understanding of Torah, marriage is really a reunion of the original union. Okay? And that layer of relation wasn't created by the man or the woman. It was always there. It was something that was there before you were together. Now you found each other, and now it's going to be something that's going to be forever. And therefore, what Avram understood and was showing in this mar- in this burial of Sarah, not just you know you're married forever in this world, 
but you're really, we're always together before you met your spouse, and you'll always be together after you're not together at all. And that means that although one spouse may die, the relationship has not ended. Has not ended at all. And it will continue in the next world, and they'll be together. And it's very interesting, though, you see a side point that what does Avram do at the end of this week's Parsha? He marries another woman. He remarries after Sarah's death. And uh, the Torah teaches us that, uh, that, uh, that, interestingly enough, I know it's interesting, Lubavitcher Rebbe, I think I put it on your, did I put it on, yeah, I put it on your sheet. Lubavitcher Rebbe wrote a letter, I forgot who it was. It was to a woman who, um, where is it over here, 14, a woman whose husband was killed in the 1967 war. So he sends her a letter, so it's in 14, it's in the Sefer Taurus Menachem. He says like this, he says, the ties between two people and certainly those between a husband and wife or between parents and children are chiefly of a spiritual, not of a material nature. That means that a bullet, a grenade, or a disease can affect the body but not the spirit or the soul. The physical bond between the two persons can be broken but not their spiritual relationship. In the letter he goes on, that's the only, only part I, uh, I, I uh, that's from his letter. The rest is just notes. Um, and he told the woman, by the way, to remarry. And she, because she, she had mentioned she doesn't want to, she's going to betray the husband. He says, should know that your husband would want you to get married again. Because since he has an eternal love for you, and even though you, you were the bashert, but an eternal love, if you love someone, you want what's best for them even if you're not there. And you should get married again. And she encouraged her, she did all kinds of chasadim for all these uh, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, orphans from the 67 war. It was a very inspiring and uplifting love, uh, letter for her. So this is the idea of Avram purchasing this idea of the cave. The idea of the cave and being buried in the cave and saying that you know, he didn't just buy the, per- the plot for her. He bought it for him and for his children and grandchildren for, for a few generations. And what he's trying to say is that we have an eternal connection and there's a part of this eternal connection that you may not readily see because it's something that came before we came into existence, something in our subconscious, something that will exist after our existence because our existence transcends this physical existence. And therefore, by the way he behaved with the burial of Sora and in the cave, and, being, and the cave is like symbolic of the deep recesses of, of a soul. So to know that that connection has never ceased, was always, is always, and that's the most important thing you need to know when you're getting married. You're getting married with Kesef. The same Kesef that Avram used to bury his wife is the same Kesef. When you're putting that ring on that woman, you have to understand it's exactly the way Avram was buying the burial field and in a covered way, a subconscious way. And this explains the juxtaposition between burial of Sarah and Yitzchak looking for a wife. To understand that it's not all about romance, it's about really just coming to something that always was. And it's very easy. That's exactly what Eretz Yisrael was. Eretz Yisrael, Bereshis Baralokim, Bereshis, for the sake of for the sake of the Jewish people, for the sake of Torah, for the sake of the first Rosh says that non-Jews will say, we stole Eretz Yisrael. But right in the Bereshit, I said, no, Eretz Yisrael was meant for the Jewish people. Eretz Yisrael belonged to the Jews before the world existed. Before Eretz Yisrael existed, before the Jews existed. Just like 40 days before the boy is conceived and the girl's came, it says, this is the Shidduch. So 40 days before the world was conceived, Hashem said there's a shidduch between Eretz Yisrael and the Jewish people. Now, what do we got to do? They got to find each other. They got to find each other. And how are they going to find each other? Avram, lech lecha. Go look for your shidduch. Look for the shidduch of Eretz Yisrael. And what does he have to do? But it's his, right? He still has to pay for it. <laughs> Just like you had to pay the shadchanim. You, you said to the shadow, well, what do I have to pay you? It was determined in Shemayim what we're supposed to have. 
answer that's true, but you know, there is a, a refinder's fee. <laughs> Not a finder's fee, a refinding fee. All right, that, that, and that's exactly what he had to do. He had to pay top dollar. What do you have to pay top dollar for? But sometimes, even though to get that reunion, that's what you have to do. But it was always ours. It's not something we conquered and we did this and we did that. And maybe if we don't, if we're not, if we're not so strong or we lose it, no, Eretz Yisrael is. Oh, and that's the whole idea of the Shabbos Chayisara, Shabbos Chevron. Chevron was always ours. It was ours before Avram even bought it. It's not a question. Well, we're going to question the sale, and that's the same with the marriage. You have to understand, okay, maybe not everything works out so great, but the, but the point is, if you think about this, if you really think and you go through the patriarchs, you know you couldn't find two people more opposite to each other than Avram and Zora. They're mamish opposites. Avram was a person of incredible chesed, and Zora was a person of incredible gvura. And you see they're arguing all the time. As we mentioned, do we say it in last week's class? Yeah, last week in the morning. Was it, well, I don't know if it was this class or the Shabbos class. No, the Shabbos class. They always were arguing. No. Civilized arguments. There are plenty of arguments. She, she said, go marry Hugger. He really didn't want to marry Hugger. Okay, I'll marry Hugger. And then she says, throw out Hugger. Throw out Yishmael. She was upset with him. Listen to her. When they were having the guests, we discussed on a Shabbos morning that they had two different versions of how to treat the guests. There had a lot of differences of opinions. But things worked out. Yitzhak and Rivka, did they see things eye to eye? Mm-hmm. Not at all. Yitzhak said Asa's going to be the one. Rivka said Yaakov's going to be the one. Couldn't you, you couldn't have anything more different than that? And yet, they got along. Why? Because they understood, Yitzchak understood what his father did. He buried his mother in Amar Samachpela. There's a concealed understanding. There's a connection that's an eternal connection that's not so clear to the naked eye. And therefore, that's, and that's how the Shidduchim last. And he had the same thing with Yaakov and Rachel. They got into a lot of arguments. That's okay. It could be different. But, and, and you it can also think, you know, and Avram, you should know, Sarah was not giving him a kid. Now, in those days, and even now it's not easy, but those especially, if the woman doesn't provide you with a man-child, you give me no purpose. Get rid of you. Avram never thought about that. Not for a minute. Sarah said, okay, you give hug. So that's because he understood this is an eternal thing that transcends the here and the now. And when you saw that in the burial, now it's time to find a shidduch for Yitzchak. Okay, these are four beautiful interpretations. So we've explained it on the pshat level, on the, the, the level that relates to the physical body, that it was a question of, can we sell this portion to someone who's not going to be a long person, long time person? So therefore the marriage, you know, is forever in this world. Then the next shot we're saying is where do the Jews have the ability to recover after all that suffering? We learned it from Avram Avinu as well. Where did we, uh, that was the resilience, right? That was the, the third level. The second level on that emotional level that you think you're getting the best wife and you can, such hakara satov. And finally the sod over here, that's something that transcends all of reality. Wonderful interpretations. But if I leave you at that, will have failed in teaching you the class properly because there's still one question that should be bothering you and what is the question but how do we cultivate those four perceptions of marriage into our life (laughs) very nice I told you exactly how it's supposed to be yeah so now you're going to feel very guilty if you're not doing that if you are you're saying I don't know what I did to deserve that how do you do that? How can you honestly, especially when your spouse does something to you that drives you crazy? Especially when you told the spouse 10 times not to do this. And they did it. And it almost always happens on an air of Shabbos. Right? 
So how are you going to feel while I got the deal of the century? How can I get the deal of the century if my spouse is a slob? Yeah. Rabbi, you're telling me I got the deal of the century. I got the slob of the century. I, I, I got a person, I got the clueless of the century. Okay, but the rabbi tells me this. I don't know how to, I don't know how to do this. And you should know you were, you were from before. Before you existed, you were together. And there's no backing out of this. And no matter how bad things can be, you're going to try to rebound. You know, what if you have a spouse who, uh, whatever, got, got very sick or fell into an addiction? How are we going to rebound? It's all wonderful, great things. Not for me. For Avram and sorry, yes, not for me. This is why you need the fifth level, the Yechida level. And you have to come on to teachings like from the Baal Shem Tov or others to be able to appreciate this. So I gave you from the Kesser Shem Tov just a little bit. But what I really want to look at is a little bit, again, I'd like to look a little bit inside from a safer called Sipurim Noroim amazing stories in Hasidus. And this is a story of the, of the Balatanya, the first Rebbe of Lubavitch. And this is, this is, for me, I just love this idea. And I hope the ladies will appreciate it as much as the men. But uh, for those who learn Gomorrah, but you'll, you'll get the idea. So anyway, so there was an innkeeper, a nice Jewish innkeeper, a nice from man. And the Rebbe was there was his Hasidim and was speaking out very holy Torah, very like holy Torah. And, uh, and the Rebbe notices uh, that, uh, and, and the innkeeper was a good Shomer Torah mitzvahs, you know, but he wasn't uh, a deep Hasid. He wasn't from that group of people. And uh, the Rebbe was giving a Hasidic discourse and the innkeeper like is standing at a distance and listening. And you could tell he's like getting all depressed. He doesn't understand a word the Rebbe is saying. So the Rebbe, very sensitive to everybody, he understood this. So he turns, after the discourse is over, he turns to the innkeeper. He says, oh, I see you're sad because you didn't understand the drusha. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. Did you ever learn Mishnayas? Seder Noshim, the section that deals with uh, marriage and things like that. He says, I learned it. She says, okay, I'll tell you, the whole drush I gave is the first Mishnah in Kedushin. You know the first Mishnah in Kedushin. She says, yeah. So it's, the whole thing I said is that. So what was it? Like we started off the class. A woman can be acquired in three ways. All right, so let's just take just a few words or it's too delicious to ignore so in three ways. Perush. Remember, everything in the Talmud, it's a very legal book on the revealed level. But the genius of the Talmud is once you've finished learning the whole revealed level, and it's halacha and this and that, all these things, what's, and they're going to argue for page page, what's the minimum value of the ring and this and that, all very technical stuff. But you got to understand it was written in a way to understand the esoteric. So you learn it, I've learned it for years and years. That how do you get married to a woman? Money, a, 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 a legal document, a star, and intimacy. And that's the way I learned it for 50 years, and that's the shot. So he says, but these are all code words. He says like this. He says, a woman can be acquired in three ways. Perish, Isha, who's the woman? He knesses Yisrael, it's the Jewish people. Right? Nikras b'shem isha yiras Hashem says in Mishnah, a woman who fears God. So the isha is a woman. Nikness is acquired by the man. That's a kaddish baruch Hu. Hashem is called an ish milchama. So there's three ways the Jewish people can be connected and owned by a kaddish baruch Hu. Three ways. Gimel efanim yesh. Three ways the Jews can be acquired and connected by Hashem. The first one is Kesef. Kesef from the Hebrew word nichsof to yearn and love. 
Bikesef, Pirish Ba'ava. You could be acquired by Hashem with Ava. Ki Ava Nikra B'Shem Kesef. Love is called Kesef, as it says in Breshis, Nichsof Nichsafti Levei Savicha. You're yearning to get to your father's house. That's one way we can be acquired by Hashem is through love. And the second way, who bishtar is with a document. Perish bishtar who osios Torah. It's the letters of the Torah. That's the document. That's another way you can get married to Hashem. Okay? Because we know the Jewish people, Hashem and the Torah are one. Right? That's the Zohar. Yisrael by rise of a Baruch So through the Torah we got required. These are two connections. So Kesev is love, Shtar in the letters of the Torah. And finally you have Bia, which is intimacy, and that's an understanding that's going to happen when Mashiach comes. When Mashiach comes, it's a, 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 the intimacy that's going to be, that's when Mashiach comes. We can't do that. And really, in a regular marriage, there's two steps. There's what we call the Eresin, the commitment, and then the Nisuin, the actual marriage per se. So really, that's what we really do. We, we have a ring or a document, that's stage one, and then the intimacy is, is the final stage. So sending with HaKadosh Baruch we have two ways to really be married to Hashem, through love to HaKadosh Baruch that's the Kesev, and through the Torah, and the third way will come when Mashiach comes. Okay, that's what the Gemara is really saying. So now the Gemara says, Kesev minolan. How do we know it's money. Now, the simple meaning, how do we know money? Now, how do you know it's love? So what do we say? Perish. And here's the question. It's not just that, well, what's the source for money? They ask a deeper question. How is it possible? How can you come to love Hashem? person so physical. He's thick. He's gross. He's materialistic. How can a material person love Hashem? We love the physical pleasure of this world. How can I love Hashem when I've got some other girls I'm going out with? It's called rib steaks and, and honor and all these things. I love so many other things. How can I love a Kaddish Baruch Hu? That's worth asking. Because of Minolan, not from which Pasuk, but how do you know? How can this happen? How can I change that whole desire for Hashem? Where his answer is kicha kicha mistei Ephron from the from the field of Ephron, where it says vayikach by marriage, vayikach by the field. Now we said the explanation because it's a similar word, similar words. You gave money here, but that's certainly the simple shot. But on the deeper level, what's going perish kicha kicha shikar of maod lahasig. It's very easy to love a kaddish baruch hu with one condition. There's got to be a field of Ephron. What is a field of Ephron? What's the symbolism of earth? What do we know about how, how could, that's one. What's another one? What is a very nice meta about the earth? The earth lets everyone step on them. Wow. Humility. Kicha kicha mistei Edom. He bought a piece of dirt from Ephraim. You say at the end of the Shemon Esrei, your soul should be like dust to everybody. Right at the end of Shemon Hashem, If someone hurts me, I shouldn't feel insulted. I should be like the earth. Shechnias nafsho. Habahami, sublimate your animalistic body. That's called weakening the body. Then you'll have the strength. And that's what the Gemara says. You don't dive in the Amida. With a sense of COVID Rosh, a heavy head. And what does that mean? Rashi says, humility. So, in other words, to pray, prayer is an aspect of connecting to Hashem. Isn't praying the greatest connection to Hashem? So what do you have to do before you pray? You have to have humility. So now that's what the Gemara really is talking about. Of course it's saying, technically, how do you get married to a woman? 
And there's three ways to get married to a woman. That's true. But the deeper understanding, in other words, marriage is really supposed to parallel what's going on the deeper marriage is the Jewish people with Hashem. How can we be acquired? How can we be married to HaKadosh Baruch Hu? We can be married to HaKadosh Baruch Hu by loving Hashem or by reading His document. That's how we can get connected to Hashem. And if that's the case, then uh, how do I know it? How do I know love is that I can, how can I get to that level of loving Hashem? He says, very simple. Learn it from Ephron. Learn with Avram. That Avram, before he went and was going to find a life for uh, Yitzchak to, to predicate marriage, which is love, we learn marriage from make yourself like the ground. And that's exactly, go through the story, Avram had to humble himself. Remember, he just passed 10 tests. God promised him the land. It's all his. He wants a fashtunk and a piece of land. But uh, Ephraim's giving a tough time. He has to prostrate himself. He has to write out a check for millions of dollars. He could have said, I'm the prince. Get out of here. This and that. You're not going to treat me like that. He says, that's how we're going to teach marriage? You want to be able to be married to Kodesh Baruch? You better be awfully humble. And now that we under, this is what we call the Yechida. This is the essence. Because the essence imbues meaning and beauty into the other four interpretations. So now we go back to the other four interpretations. And now this makes a lot of sense. So we're saying, well, why are we connecting the burial of Sarah to, to marriage? So the first is the concrete one, is we're saying, well, it's an eternal thing. Well, I don't know. I don't know if I want to commit for, forever. How can I commit forever? Make yourself humble. If you make yourself humble, you can commit forever. On the second level, the emotional, think you got the deal of the century? Of course, if you are humble, you'll think what you got was better than you. If you want to say we're talking about where does Jewish resilience come from? How do you have the ability to rebound? It's humility. By realizing I don't accomplish anything by myself anyway. It's all up to HaKadosh Baruch Hu for me to succeed. If Hashem wanted me to suffer, I suffer. If Hashem wants me to succeed. But that has to come from a great state of humility. And finally, to understand that your shidduch was something that came before you. And you really don't have what to choose. That all has to do with the ability to humble yourself before this. Marriage is all about beetle, nullifying yourself. If you can understand, we talked so much in other classes, to realize that Hashem ain't old Milvado. Every single thing you have is a gift from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The ability to do anything. You think you're a better shidduch than your spouse? Remember, you got it all from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And therefore, you don't have anything to, to, to be so excited about. But, and now you can be humble enough to see that your spouse is, is maybe better than you. Without this aspect, this idea of the, bringing it to the source, to HaKadosh Baruch if that part of the equation is missing, you could hear four beautiful interpretations, and you're going to say, but it's not for me, I can't do this. But if you can understand to nullify yourself before Hashem and understand the ways the Jewish people can be married to Hashem and marriage is just a macro, microcosm of that, can you be able to do that? And that's why Avram always would say, just dust and ashes and all these things. Humility is the key to have a successful marriage and the ability to continue after difficult situations. Okay. Wow. 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 Wow.